Welcome to the Soul Science Nutrition Podcast, where you'll discover that when it comes to your health, you're so much more powerful than you've been led to believe. And now, your host. She's a holistic nutrition and lifestyle coach, chef, author, and yogi, Christine Ocasey. Hello, and welcome to the Soul Science Nutrition Podcast. I'm Christine Ocasey. Thanks so much for listening today. So on today's special solo show, we're diving deep into the ever-so-popular topic of the mind-body connection. See, the mind can be our best friend, as they say, or it can be our worst enemy when it comes to achieving great health. In the Western culture, we've been conditioned to see the mind and the body as very distinctive and separate domains. We've spent centuries relying on the intellect, our thinking mind, as the sole guide for making choices and healing our emotional woes. But more and more scientific research is revealing what ancient wisdom has long known, and that is the fact that our bodies store our emotional experiences and memories. So whether you're struggling with anxiety, depression, emotional wounding, addictive behaviors, an eating disorder, or body image struggles, all our neuroses, and trust me, we all have them. If you're a human being living on planet Earth, especially right now, we all have our neuroses. Well, they have roots in our physical body. It's a scientific fact that our issues are in our tissues. Thus, by using our thinking mind alone, we cannot heal, navigate, and grow through life's inevitable challenges. Now, to understand why this is the case, I think it's important we dive a little bit into understanding what the nature of the mind really is. So, the mind, as we experience and know it, is largely automatic. It's constantly producing thoughts automatically, right? Just the way our pancreas secretes digestive enzymes. The mind never stops, it's in constant motion. It's constantly sorting for difference, and it's assessing its options through, through contrast, you know, good, bad, pro, con, positive, negative, right? But most significantly is the mind is just as real as this physical body. The mind has a structure, a process, a process that you can observe and influence both physiologically and biochemically through factors that we know like food sound, conversations, and breathing patterns. In fact, even our own thoughts affect the processing and the structure of our mind. Now here we have the body, so this physical self that we walk around in. It's the container for all this constant activity. It is the place where our thoughts, emotions, and beliefs reside. So we know that the body and the mind are actually completely entwined and therefore have a very powerful effect on another. Your body's reaction to this never-ending stream of thoughts and emotions is a complex of cognitive and physiological process. And, and certain states of emotion and thought, let's say anger or rumination, well, they can become, as we know all too well, very consuming and without some tools to manage these emotions, well, we end up feeling trapped or getting trapped in our mind, which means we're disconnected from our body 
And the emotions just continue to build up energetically and they express in the body in basically two ways. So number one is chemically. So we're all aware of the cascade of hormonal changes that are triggered when our nervous systems are overstimulated. Um, It derails the hormone balance. It depletes our brain chemicals that are required for happiness, right? It, It compromises our immune system. Stress hormones and neuropeptides flood our nervous system, and these act as pro-inflammatory chemicals, right? Triggered again in response to repressed or maybe poorly managed feelings like anger or fear. Bottom line is that we know chemically that these buildup of emotions express, and they affect so many important bodily functions from our immune system, as I mentioned, certainly our metabolism. We've talked a lot about that on the show. Our heart, our brain, and of course, our gut health, which we'll come back to. So the second way that these bottled up emotions leak into our body and express in problematic situations is patterns of tension in our tissue, literally patterns of holding in our fibers, our muscles, specifically in the fascia of the body. And over time, they cause a lack of mobility, chronic pain, and set you up actually for potential disease or dysfunction. Emotional holding literally gets locked chronically into our tissue fibers. They start in our nervous system and literally travel deep into our muscles over time. Repressed emotions, trauma, negative attitudes, they all become patterns in our nervous system patterns in our biochemistry, as well as patterns in our muscular system and fascia. Now, yogis have long known that in order to make real change, we have to find tools that address the issues in our tissues. You really have to have a deep change happen in the patterning in the body. But in order for this to happen, we have to have our muscles lighten up. We have to have them relax, come out of that stress response, right? Then through movement and and other modalities, we can find a way to stretch the fascia. Now, pain in different parts of the body can be attributed to emotional blockages, and I'm sure some of this will resonate with you. So for example, if you have neck and shoulder issues, these are associated with overwhelm. I heard recently someone call our shoulders the emotional junk drawer. I can totally relate to that, right? Lower back issues are associated with feeling unsupported somewhere in your life. Our hamstrings, well, they're connected to our ability to let go, to trust. And I'm sure if you've even attended just a couple yoga classes, you've heard the teacher make reference to our hips as a special place of emotional storage. What's so interesting is that the psoas muscle in the body is the only muscle which connects the spine and the leg bones, and it hinges thus on the central nervous system, attaching through the spine and into the brain. So right there, just anatomically and connectively, we can understand how a tight psoas can lead to a stress response or actually reflect or 
be uh, the manifestation of a stress response in the body, right? Because a tight psoas, in fact, interferes with the movement of our diaphragm. So our abdominal breathing is going to be restricted, right? So we know that abdominal breathing is what allows us to affect that relaxation response, that parasympathetic part of our nervous system, right? So clearly, this is a really interesting and, and very practical way to understand how the issues get in the tissues. Our psoas muscle, by, by virtue of its anatomy and uh, connectivity to our nervous system, plays a very important role in emotional holding. To go further into that, in yoga, we know that the breath and posture can absolutely facilitate a shift in our mood and our emotional state. Once again, because our mind and our biochemistry are intertwined. So speaking from my experience with Kundalini Yoga, Kundalini Yoga works deep within the body, activating and balancing our nervous system and glandular system through systematic movement, breathing exercises, the use of mantra or singing, right? All of these are changing the chemical balance of the brain. Or more specifically, they work on something called the vagal system or the gut brain, which we've talked a lot about on, the, on previous shows. So remember the vagus nerve, that's the longest nerve in the body. It connects your brain to all these other important organs in the body, your stomach, your intestines, your heart, your lungs, right? And that vagus nerve is the, is the central component of that parasympathetic nervous system, right? That parasympathetic nervous system, which is the setting that oversees so many important bodily functions when it comes to our mood, our mental state, and obviously as well as our immune response and our digestion, among other things. But you see, the explosion of research on this gut-brain access, on the gut microbiome, which I know you are also much more versed in these days, it's so interesting to understand that from a therapeutic intervention, when we look at the gut-brain, more and more uh, research is coming out to support how we can support you know, shifts and healing with our cognitive and our emotional issues, things like PTSD, things like depression, by working on understanding how our issues in our tissues, or specifically how our issues in, are in our gut tissues. So that's just another lens to really understand this beautiful and very profound connectivity between how we feel and what we experience in the body. Now, Eastern medicine, which I've also talked a lot on various shows with my guests, Eastern medicine, traditional Chinese medicine, for example, has long correlated specific emotions with certain areas or even organs of the body. So you might know that liver with anger, kidneys with the emotion of fear, stomach with worry, lungs associated with the emotion of grief. In fact, the chakra system itself um, also does the same thing, um, another system of healing that provides a beautiful framework that literally maps out the organism, the organism that is this network that we walk around and, and reside in, our body, mind, and emotions, right? Personally, I've experienced as so many transformational benefits um, through the practice of kundalini yoga, I've experienced incredible uh, strong emotional releases, uh, meaningful shifts in my mental outlook, right? Um, 
because here's what I've learned, and here's why I'm so passionate about this um, this topic, um, and how and and resourcing ourselves to really use this information to benefit our capacity for taking charge of our health. Here's the deal: trying to change our mind with our mind is basically like trying to stop a runaway train by yelling stop. There's just too much going on, right? It's rather ineffective. It's also arguably not very scientific. If we were if we're in the business of creating long-term real lasting positive change in any area of our health and well-being, quite frankly, what I want to say is that we need to find ways to drop more and more into our bodies. How do we do that? Well, there's lots of options on the menu, but let me begin by just highlighting that once again, when it comes to the most powerful way to sync up the body and the mind as if the two need to be, you know, they're not really separate, but we want to sync them. We want to bring them into harmony. We want to bring them into balance, right? It's the breath. Using the power of the breath is the fastest way to interrupt the stress response. Activate that parasympathetic nervous system and in turn slow down our heart rate, lower our blood pressure. What does this do? This mitigates those anxiety and depression system. It creates a feeling of calm. And unless we get the body and the mind in that setting, restoring that feeling of calm, we're not going to get very far. You see, how does this work? It's, again, I just marvel at the design of these, these organisms that, we, that we're taking up space in. When we breathe long, slow, and deep from our diaphragm, from our belly area, instead of our chest, we invite the neck, the rib cage, the chest muscles to relax. We engage all these parts of the body to bring in a larger amount of oxygen so that we can reach more cells and nourish our organs. So in addition to reversing that physical stress response, deep breathing, conscious breathing allows us to transcend the emotional commotion of the mind. How do we do this? Because it inevitably takes us to a deeper state of awareness. And it's in this part of our psyche, with this part of the brain's capacity, that we can shift and dissolve and release buried emotions. In fact, breath work, breath work itself is a tool for meditation. I just want to be clear that working with conscious breathing is a meditative practice unto itself, right? And we'll go through uh, my favorite tool in a moment. What I've learned um, in, my, in my studies is that emotions not only have a biochemical signature, but they're associated with specific breath patterns. In fact, a recent study in the Journal of Neurophysiology showed that different breathing patterns activated our brain networks, different parts of the brain that are related to mood, attention, body awareness, all of these are activated by paying more attention to our breath. So it makes so much sense. It's why using these tools, yogic tools, breath work tools, however you want to approach it, is, is just the most efficient way in, to really help us manage, manage our thoughts, our moods, and control the quality of our experiences. 
Now my favorite pranayam or my favorite breathing exercise is called alternate nostril breathing. It's becoming more and more mainstream. Um, but you know, with just a few minutes, literally three to five minutes, right? A minimum of three minutes. Everybody has three minutes, right? Of alternate nostril breathing. You can restore balance and ease in the mind and the body. It's an amazing nervous system hack, if you will. What does it do? Well, as I mentioned, it rejuvenates the nervous system by stimulating the balance of the sympathetic and the parasympathetic nervous system. It absolutely improves your ability to focus the mind. These days, it has the added benefit that we really are, you know, should be more interested in, which is it basically increases our respiratory strength, our, our lung capacity. It supports our heart health, working with blood pressure and heart rate. Alternate nostril breathing, like so many other powerful breathing exercises, helps remove toxins in the body and overall promotes just greater feelings of well-being. So why not, right? So why is it alternate? Well, it's curious because when we work with left nostril breathing, we stimulate that rest and digest, that parasympathetic nervous system. It's very calming. So there are many variations of alternate nostril breathing. So for example, if we didn't alternate between left and right, we would just do left nostril breathing. It's very calming. It's great, let's say, when your mind is racing, if you're in the middle of an emotional, sort of commotional issues, or, or perhaps you're having trouble falling asleep. Conversely, Right nostril breathing, if we were just to do right nostril breathing, that's going to stimulate the sympathetic nervous system, right? The activated part of our nervous system. So for example, you know, right around between three and five, we start to get kind of sleepy. We're kind of feeling a little tired. That might be a moment where you're going to go grab a cup of coffee or have an urge to have something, you know, sugary to, to boost you up. Well, it turns out that again, three minutes of right nostril breathing long and deep, is going to give you a much greater um, source of added energy, much greater vitality in that moment. So let's talk about how we do this. So what you want to do is sit somewhere comfortably with as straight a spine as you can. You don't need to sit in any cross-legged position or, or any yogic style position. It's really something you could do in your chair anywhere as long as you're comfortable. Keeping your feet on the floor is helpful just to ground you. So wherever you can keep your spine straight and comfortable. Frankly, as I mentioned before, you can even do it in bed um, if that's something that's a little bit more available to you, you know, it's like waking up in the morning or trying to fall asleep. In any event, it's best sitting up if you can. You want to use the thumb and the index finger of your right hand and make a U. And use the thumb to close off your right nostril just gentle pressure on the outside of your right nostril. And the index finger to close off your left nostril is what you'll be doing, right? So we're going to close the left nostril with your index finger. Inhale deeply through the right nostril. Once you reach the end of that inhale, you're going to close the right nostril with your thumb and deeply exhale through the left nostril. Now inhaling through the left nostril fully and deeply. 
Taking the index finger to close the left nostril and exhale through the right. You want your inhales to be long, slow, and deep, and your exhales equally long, slow, and deep. I would start out with a count of, you know, four or five, and if that feels good, you can continue to build from there. So again, you're inhaling through the right nostril, and you're continuing to alternate, right? The breath must, as I said, be complete, full on both the inhalation and the exhalation for maximum effectiveness. Now, you can use this breathing technique anytime in your daily life, right? You might use it to be more mindful, to be more present moment before you have a communication or before you have an important conversation with someone. You can do it anytime that it feels most comfortable to you. You can certainly do it during the day when you just need to relax or, or like I said, when you really kind of need to focus. Um, noting that the, the breathing technique of alternate nostril breathing and most breathing techniques are best done on an empty stomach. So you don't want to practice it, you know, if you're really full from a big meal or if even if you're feeling sick or congested, let's say you're just, you know, got some congestion going on, you probably won't want to do that. But the potential benefits, once again, um, more often than not, are incredibly promising. But here's the kicker, of course, as I'll mention with any breathing technique, with any self-care practice that involves this kind of uh, mind-body integration, you're going to see results uh, more more beneficially or more or long-term when you develop this as a consistent and regular practice, right? Whatever that means to you. So you will get immediate relief in the moment, but what's even more powerful is that anytime we're engaging in a pranayama or a meditation experience, if we continue to use that tool, pull it out of your tool bag, let's say on a more regular basis, you create deeper, deeper levels of change in the body and in the mind. So you want to remember that. So here's the deal. We all have varying degrees of wounding, of trauma, as a result of toxic stress or repressed, um, unresolved negative emotions that get trapped within our connective tissues and our organs. And we need to deal with these at the source, at the root. By working with the amazing design of this body-mind organism, we can shift the biology. As I mentioned, we can shift the biochemistry, but we can also shift our behaviors, right? When we step into a clearer, more intelligent use of the mind, we can shift our habits and how we show up in the world. That's more in alignment with our health goals, with our life goals. In my own experience, as I've said before, I have found my clients, um, as well as in my own life, um, use these tools to be very powerful for interrupting you know, this sort of health derailing stress breaking those unwanted habits, and once again, just stepping into um, a greater well-being, a greater feeling of well-being. And, and that's kind of what we need, is that you know, if we can step into a greater feeling of well-being, well, that gives us the motivation, the real motivation, to continue to take care of ourselves in this way, right? 
Now, of course, there are so many wonderful modalities out there. I've, I've had a number of them on my show and will continue to do so. So it's important to find and explore what really resonates with you. You know, things, there are other traditional yoga, yoga systems. There's EFT, which is emotional freedom technique, otherwise known as tapping. Very, very powerful modality. Qigong, different forms of meditation, um, different forms of massage and body work energy healing work, uh, traditional Chinese medicine, Ayurvedic medicine, even just connecting with nature, you know, on a regular basis can bring so much healing to the mind through the body-mind connection, if you will. So in closing, I think it's really um, helpful and important to know that however many issues we may have in our tissues, we need to remember first and foremost that we have within ourselves the capacity to heal them all. The first powerful step is to become curious about finding the ways to come back into your body, to slow down and breathe more fully. So enough thinking, enough trying so hard to figure out life and health. Give yourself permission to explore a gentle inward journey. This is what this is about. You can make a choice in any one moment, even right now in this now moment, to pause, to take a deep breath, to close your eyes, and gently redirect your awareness out of thinking, busy mind, out of the head, back into the heart, and come back home to your body to heal. A beautiful quote from Candace Pert. She was an internationally recognized neuroscientist and pharmacologist. She, she was essentially, you know, uh, her research in the 1980s on the mind-body medicine area earned her the title of Mother of Psychoneuroimmunology. And I just love her quote here. She says, the body is not there to simply carry the head. Your body is your subconscious mind, and you can't heal it by talk alone. So I hope this episode has been helpful to you, my friends. If you liked it, I would really be grateful if you could leave a rating and review. And if you haven't already hit that subscribe button, please do so, so you don't miss any new episodes that are coming out every Thursday. Stay safe and stay well. Bye for now.